Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to talk to you about something that I think is a great topic um, for for us as as Christians and and even as Canadians because I I get to you get to see this lived out every year during the hockey season and especially in playoff time and that is passion passion I mean if there's one thing that Canadians respond to with great passion is our sport and um, but I want to talk about it in the context of life of course and and what it means uh, for, for us in, in uh, walking with the Lord. Your greatest moments in life have been driven by passion. Your greatest moments in life have been driven by passion. In fact, your greatest moments in life in the future will still be driven by passion. But you think about um, maybe some of the moments that you've already had that have been driven by passion. Uh, for, for those who are married, when you proposed to your wife, that was driven by passion. Uh, when she said yes to him, that was driven by passion, wasn't it? Um, maybe when you were at that point of, of, you know, moving forward in your career and perhaps decided on a university or a college or some other path that you wanted to take and you were passionate about getting in, into that training and getting prepared for what you wanted to do for the decades and the future of your life. Uh, maybe you're here as an athlete and, and you remember making it onto the team and how passionate you were about, you know, being a part of, of a team and, and involved in that way. You know, maybe there's something in your life that's been a project that you've seen yourself just work long hours at and put a lot of time in because of what? Because of passion, because you're so passionate about it. Maybe you're that person who's started or grown a business and, you know, it's, it's taken a lot of energy, but it's not like somebody had to tell you to do it because why? Because it was so inside of here and you were just so passionate about what you were doing that you were just put in the hours and, you know, you don't even count them. You don't even think about, well, how many hours did I put in this week? Why? Because it's your passion, because it's coming from within, it's coming from your heart. Well, you know, passion is actually kind of like a driving quality that we see throughout Scripture. It's actually a godly quality to be passionate. And, and we see it throughout the Bible. I'll, I'll just give you a taste of, of it from the uh, Old Testament as we look at David's mighty men. This would have been like in David's army, this was like his special forces group, okay? This was his SWAT team, if you will, his select, known in the Bible as David's mighty men. But all of them display passion. In fact, as you look at them and look at what they did, you can actually build definition around what passion looks like. For instance, passion will put your life on a mission. Passion will put your life on a mission. I think of a Dino who killed 800 people at one time in hand-to-hand -hand combat with a sword. Guy didn't even have a gun. But here he is in one day taking out 800 of their enemy that were trying to take them out. Passion will put your life on a mission. Passion will cause you to exceed expectations. I think of Eleazar, who stayed in the battle with David, the Bible says, and, and kept fighting till his hand was weary, but it still clung to his sword. In other words, I'm so tired, I can barely pick this thing up, 
but I'm so passionate about what I'm doing that I'm still going to stick with it. It exceeded expectations. Passion will stand for honor. Passion will stand for honor. I think of Shama, who the Bible says stayed when others left and stayed alone and, stand, and stood in the middle of a lentil plot defending against the enemy. How many know it wasn't about the lentils? Come on, if you've ever ate those things. It's not about the lentils. I had a friend in university, thought it was great to cook lentils, you know, soak them, do the whole thing. So I gave her a recipe. I said, you soak them overnight in a toilet and you flush it in the morning. At any rate, um, but here's what it was about. It was about honor. It was about honor. It wasn't about what was growing in the patch. It was about who it belonged to. It belonged to David. And passion will stand for honor. Passion is not afraid to take a risk. David's three closest mighty men took a risk just because they overheard David saying, boy, it'd be great to have a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. And the Bible says that those three men went past the enemy lines, risked their lives to get a drink of water for David. Passion beats the odds when the odds are against you. Passion will beat the odds when the odds are against you. You know, uh, these names are really difficult, but whatever his name is, Baliah kills a lion in a pit on a snowy day, then kills an Egyptian with his own spear while all he had in his hand was a club. Passion will beat the odds when the odds are against you. Passion is also a topic of the New Testament. These are just illustrations from a segment of the old, but passion is definitely a topic in the New Testament. You know, Jesus stayed up, the Bible says, all night in prayer before choosing the disciples. How many know that's passion? That's passion. Stays up all night in prayer before making a decision about who would be his disciples. Jesus spent three days teaching and the crowd stayed with him for three days listening to what he had to say. Well, you got to know that there was passion involved in taking that time and doing what he did and, 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 and the crowds just staying with him and staying on to his word. You know, how about the guy who's, who's paralyzed and his friends bring him to Jesus, bring him to a house that they couldn't even get into because it was just absolutely packed, and, and, but they wanted to get him healed and they knew if we can just get him in the presence of Jesus, if we can just get Jesus's attention, he will be healed. And they climb up on the roof, remove the tiles, lower this man down right into the presence of Jesus. And sure enough, he ends up getting healed. How many know something? It wasn't ropes that got him to Jesus. It was passion that was in his friends that got him to Jesus. They weren't gonna settle for, well, you know, the meeting's kind of full. And, you know, if it was the will of God, I'm sure there'd be an extra chair. No, passion got them into that place. I remember doing ministry in Cuba and we went to this one small community and preaching there and they'd have the, you know, the sound system all set up and everything. The house was packed. The front yard also had people sitting in it to listen as it came out the windows. And for us to get in to preach, we literally could not walk in the front door of the house because there was too many people. Instead, we had to walk around to the back of the house past the, the family pig. You don't have a family pig? <laughs> Literally, past the family, I'm like, oh, the family pig. Well, we have dogs, they have pigs. In through the kitchen to be able to get to a place where we could speak because it was so full of people. But they were passionate about hearing the word of God. 
Prayer is called to be passionate. Do you know that? The Bible says that our prayer is to be what? Fervent. Fervent is to be passionate. I love that about this past Wednesday night, we had uh, what I would consider to be the best prayer meeting we've had since opening this building about 10 years ago. And it was an hour and a half of passionate prayer together. Come on, it was awesome. Jesus uh, taught on helping people who strayed from the faith to return to the faith in Luke chapter 15. And he gave three illustrations that demonstrate that God is passionate about people who have lost their way and bringing them back to the family of God. In Luke chapter 16, there's a parable about a feast, a kind of a picture, if you will, of, of, of heaven, a picture of salvation, a picture of people coming to Christ. And, and the king says, I'm throwing this feast and you know, and, the, and, and I want everybody to be there. I want the house to be filled. That, that, that was his mandate. We need to fill the house. And so he sends people out to get the invited guests. Well, that wasn't enough. There was still room. So then he says, well, go out and get the hurting. Go get people that are hurting. Went out and got them. There was still room. And then he finishes with this. Go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Come on, how many know that's passion right there? Compel them to come in. Jesus understood the power of passion. Jesus' death on the cross is called what? The passion of the Christ. It's called the passion of the Christ. You know, passion is a word that means suffering or enduring. And when people think of acting with passion today, it's often about having such an emotional drive, such a, a, a commitment of heart that you would actually suffer whatever you need to suffer and endure whatever you need to endure in order to accomplish what it is that's in your heart. That's what passion looks like. Victory is found in the measure of your passion, not your problem. You know, sometimes people think, well, this is a big problem and, and so I don't know if we can accomplish it, but I would submit to you that your passion is more important than the size of your problem. Israel had an enemy, the Arameans, who were camped at Aphek. And the scripture describes the situation saying that the Arameans filled the country, but Israel was like two little flocks. They filled the country, and Israel was just like two little flocks of goats, the scripture says. Well, maybe that's the way you feel about your life right now. Like everywhere you look, there's a problem you're facing. There's a situation you're dealing with. There's something that's kind of surrounded you, if you will. And maybe you can feel a little bit overwhelmed. Maybe you can feel a little bit like, uh, if you will, minimized while your problem is maximized and everything just seems to be so big and having filled your life and you can feel like that little flock of, of goats as it were compared to it. But as time moves forward, we're gonna look at what happens. There's a prophet in Israel by the name of Elisha. And Elisha is nearing the end of his life. He's ill. And um, he instructs the king to take a bow and an arrow and to point it out the window. And then Elisha puts his hand on the king's hand and has him shoot the arrow. Elisha was the prophet of God. And this was like a prophetic announcement of what God was gonna do for Israel in this challenging time. In 2 Kings 13, 17, it says this. He said, open the window towards the east. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. 
And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram, for you will defeat the Arameans at Aphek until you have destroyed them. Wow, what a great promise. What a great word from this prophet towards the king and towards Israel. You know, the promise is established. God's will is clearly laid out, is clearly spoken here. There's direction, there's expectation, destiny has been set. But now look at what happens. 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 18. You would think they're done. It's like, well, we already got a word from God. We're gonna defeat them. But look at this. Then he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. So the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck it five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. What's this all about? Didn't Joas the king already have a promise from God of victory over this enemy? Wasn't that gonna be enough just to have that word? Listen, whatever God is going to do in your life is going to be a blend of his promises and your participation. You know, the prophet took the arrow and the first said, well, let's just shoot the arrow into the sky. Let's see what God is going to do. That was the first part of what he worked with the king on. But the second part, which was equally important, was when he took the arrows and put them in his hand, and he said, I want you to hit the ground. We already know what God wants to do. Let's find out what you're willing to do. And instead of having an attitude that says, man, I am surrounded by an enemy. This could wipe out my nation. I am so wanting to win this battle and striking that ground till the arrows broke or his hands you know, bled or whatever with that same intensity that we see with David's mighty men. He just gives it three little taps and the prophet's angry with him. Maybe the king thought, well, since it's God's will, We've already established that. I guess it'll just happen. How many times do people think, you know, if it's the will of God, it'll just happen. Not understanding that you need to hit the ground with arrows and you need to act with passion on his will. And when we don't understand this principle, then what can happen is that we can blame our lack of success on the will of God when it has more to do with the will of persons. Act with passion on his promises for your life. You know, maybe you've got some goals in life, something that you've putting your faith behind. Man, go find the promises of God that match up to what it is you're believing for, that you can take to heart. Pray those with passion. Read them. Get them in front of your face. Get them deep into your heart. Let them create your expectations for your goals in life. Maybe you're struggling in some area of life and, and, and struggling with sin and temptation. Well, the promise of God says this, there's no temptation that God hasn't made a way of escape for. So we know God's already made a way of escape, but you're gonna have to be passionate about your escape. Come on. Instead of fighting to avoid sin, fight to avoid temptation because that's what Jesus taught us to do. You know, the Lord's prayer isn't lead me not into sin. The Lord's prayer is, lead me not into temptation. And we've got to get passionate about fighting against temptation 
so we keep our boundary far enough that we're not even worried about sin because we've focused on, I'm gonna deal with temptation, and that's how you get your victory over sin. Maybe you're parenting children and you know you can just have an attitude of, well, there's these promises in the Bible and we know what God's will is for these kids. But I can tell you, uh, you know, from experience, get passionate about raising your kids. Get passionate about seeing the will of God happen in their life. Get passionate about the word of God and the importance of sowing that into their hearts uh, you know, from day one. Start while they're in the womb. Dear Lord, don't, don't wait for any, any excuse. Just get at it, get it done, get the word of God in those kids' hearts. I, I'm giving you an early start, I know that, but it's still a good thing to do. Get passionate, get passionate. How about advancing the vision for your life? You know, we should have a vision for our marriage, our finances, our family, our walk with God, our, our, our own, how we're doing spiritually and, and how our church is doing, how we're doing in connection with serving Jesus, all the rest of it. We should have vision for all of these things. But here's the thing. Don't settle for a partial victory. Don't settle for three taps. Don't settle for a partial. Don't settle for, well, it's doing better. My marriage is doing better. My walk with God, yeah, it's, it's doing better. My finances are doing better. Don't settle for doing better when passion can take you to doing great. Come on. Don't settle just for doing better when passion can take you to doing great. If we don't address the issue of a lack of passion, what'll happen is you'll exchange your potential for excuses. And instead of rising to your potential, you'll just settle for what's happening and then have a, an explanation for why it's staying that way that sort of satisfies your own thinking. Listen, don't opt to excuse your present condition when you can infuse it with enough passion to make a difference. Passion is a commodity in your life that can be filled or drained. Passion is a commodity in your life that can be filled or it can be drained. You know, everyone can identify with times of being passionate about something in their life and, and then a time that maybe you were a little bit indifferent to. And we can watch passion rise and fall and, and rise again. Look at how David describes his passion for God and his life in the Psalms. Psalms 86 and verse 12. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart and will glorify your name forever. That's passionate. Psalms 119, verse 10. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Psalms 119, 145. I cried with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord. I will observe your statutes. This is the same guy who failed to go to war when it was the season or the time for kings to go to battle, and instead, he just stayed home. I don't feel like going to war. Let the other kings go. I don't feel like going to war. I don't feel like fighting today. I'm kind of tired. I've been working really hard. I think I deserve a break. You know, let somebody else go and, and do that. He found reason in his own mind to opt out when it was actually his time to be able to, to go to war, to, to get into battle and to deal with it. And so instead of going to battle for his nation, he loses the battle over temptation and self-control. Where was his passion to glorify God in that moment? Where was his passion to seek the Lord on that day? 
And where was this passion to observe his statutes at that time? How is it that we can go from being so fired up about serving Jesus, knowing Jesus, following Jesus, having Jesus in our lives, and then become apathetic and different, you know, cold, if you will, half-hearted, comfortable, just sort of satisfied with how things are going. Passion has to be maintained. Now, consider your passion like fuel. This is the way you want to think about it. Passion is like fuel. And we know just even in, in you know, using a car or whatever, your, car, your vehicle can be full of fuel. It can be tanked up. And you go many kilometers down the road and you begin to watch that fuel gauge slowly going down, down, down. And you're excited about the distance traveled and, and everything that's been accomplished. And others can be excited about your accomplishments. But just because you've gone that distance doesn't mean that the tank gets filled again. You have to be intentional. It's called a gas station, all right? You just have to be intentional about refueling to go further. It's the same way in our walk with God. We can celebrate the distance, and we should. We can be excited about the past, and we should. And we can look to all the accomplishments and think, man, God's been faithful. We sang about that that today. And, and we can be excited about the church growing and about moving from property to property because of it and the hundreds of people that have been baptized. And it's all wonderful. But let me tell you what is important right now in this moment is to get fueled up for what God has for our future. It's refuel time. He lives and, and there's people that there are lives that still need Jesus, and that needs to be on our focus. The presence of God in your life and, and just your faith being encouraged, God wants to fuel that up. Keeping your heart and your attitude in a right place, being passionate about the king and his kingdom is absolutely essential. God wants to refuel your passion to follow Jesus, to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to be used by Jesus. He wants your passion to be towards God's people and those who are far from God and towards God's house and his kingdom. Don't underestimate your need to monitor your passion and to bring your passion back up to where it should be. Revelation chapter three, verse 15 says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Look at the dichotomy of God's evaluation versus this person's evaluation. It's like you wouldn't think they were looking at the same person. You know, when things seem to be going well for us, we can assume that all is well. And when I say going well for us, I mean circumstantially. Yet what's happening on the inside can actually be very different from the experience that we're observing on the outside. God was talking about what was happening inside this person. And they're thinking about what's going on around their life. They said, I, I'm in, I don't have any needs. They're speaking circumstantially. And the danger is this, 
that you can get to a place where things look good around you, but are not so good inside of you. And when that happens, you lose passion. And now you're just going through the motions, going through the motions of marriage, going through the motions of your job or the motions of Christianity and church. You can only do this though for so long and it eventually will catch up to you. In the scriptures, um, all of this could just be described as a life of comfort. Scripture says this, this was the recommendation. You need some eye salve so that you can see. In other words, here's what God was saying. The way I see your life and the way you see your life is very different. And you need some eye salve so that you can see what I see. God was looking at this person's spiritual condition. And when we've lost passion, we don't see as God sees. We don't see our need for God. We, we don't see others around us who also need God. We don't see their need either because we're so self-centered and comfortable with our own lives. The scripture says they were lukewarm, lukewarm, being comfortable. Here's what happens when you're lukewarm. See, he said, I'd rather you be cold or hot. Why? Because cold and hot makes a difference. Lukewarm doesn't make any difference. Contentment is the enemy of being a difference maker. Now, I'm not telling you, you should go and sell everything you own so that you're discontent. No, that's not what it's about. But here's what it is about. Contentment is the enemy of being a difference maker. Contentment exchanges passion for apathy. Contentment sets you up actually for decline. And when you move from passion to contentment, you'll accommodate levels of compromise and do things you would never do when your passion was strong. Contentment is actually a description for, is actually not a description, I should say, for a healthy spiritual life. The Bible does not describe a healthy spiritual person as somebody who's content with where they're at with God. Here's how it describes it, as somebody who is hungry for more of God. That's the place where we're to live. We're not to live in a place of contentment, I've got enough of God, I've read enough of Bible, I've had enough of worship. No, that's not, the, that's not what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is one where we're always hungry. It's what I would call a holy discontentment. It's like, yeah, I'm content with what God has given me, but I'm not content to stay at the same place with how God's using me. I want him to do more. I wanna experience more of Jesus. I wanna see more lives changed. I want to see the gifts of the Spirit flow through my life. I want to see more of the purposes of God happen in my life. I want to be even more fruitful than I've been in my past. Come on, are you with me? Let's get hungry. Let's not get content. How do we keep our passion alive? Now that I'm past the introduction, we'll try to get into the message. We don't just have a passionate heart and then not have it reflected in our actions. We can't say, well, I'm passionate about the things of God, yet for someone to look at your life and look at your actions, would they come to the same conclusion? These things are not disconnected. In Matthew 24 and verse 12, it says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Well, this is kind of that question of, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Did you lose your passion and then find yourself making compromising decisions and 
being disengaging from activity you used to do? Or did you start making compromising decisions and disengaging, and then you begin to lose your passion? I believe the latter is more likely the culprit. And that is, we begin to rationalize sin in our life. We begin to accommodate compromises. We make room in our thought life to be more self-centered and less kingdom-centered. We focus on other things than the things that God wants us focused on. We put our heart into the things of the world around us. We get caught up and just get so busy that we're not having time that we're actually spending with the Lord. We stop showing up for worship. After all, we're busy and God has blessed our lives and, he can, and, and all of a sudden we, we have so many other things to do, so many other, other options that now worship starts to get cut out of our life. We stop serving because of these same things. And then this creates absence in our life. But it's not just that you are absent, but what has become absent from you. It's not just that you are absent, but what has become absent from you. You know, we can become absent with our time with God, absent with worship, absent from fellowship, absent from serving, and absent from all these things, but your absence actually is creating an absence inside of you, an absence of passion for God, an absence of hunger for God, an absence of the joy of the Lord, an absence of faith and enthusiasm for the things of God, an absence of joy and faith and expectation and, and a spiritual life that you're meant to have becomes absent with you because you started becoming absent from those things. I thought absence makes the heart grow fonder. Not when it comes to the things of God, it doesn't. In fact, the book of Hebrews warns us that when our lives become absent from worship, it's actually gonna impact our life with God in a negative way. It'll cause your heart to grow cold. Likewise, our presence causes our heart to stay warm to the things of God. Revelation chapter two and verse two, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you persevered and endured for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen. Think about that, think about that. Remember from where you're falling. Here's what scripture is saying. Remember what you used to do. Remember what you used to do. Repent and what? Do the deeds you did at first. Do the deeds. The scripture here is telling us, go back to acting like you did when your heart was in a good place with God. Go back to acting like you did when your heart was in the right place if your passion has declined, changing your actions will raise your passion. Changing your actions will raise your passion. The pathway to restored passion is to change your actions. I promise you that when you get yourself engaged, when you get yourself involved, that you'll begin to see passion rise in your life again because you're going back to doing what you did at first. It applies to so many areas of life. You know, if your passion is, is not there in your marriage, go do what you did at first when you were friends before you got married. If your passion is not there with your walk with God, here's what you need to do. Get back to basics. Basics. 
Get back to basics. Remember when you first started following Jesus and how you were like, I read the Bible every day. Every time the church was open, I showed up. I, you know, I was, I was sharing Jesus with all of my friends. I mean, I was vocal about it. Go back to doing what you did at first and your passion will get restored in your life. Restoring your habits restores your passion. Restoring your commitments. How about this one? Restoring your giving. This is the part where I'm waiting for an amen. It's really long and silent. It's just you and me up here, Jesus. Restoring your giving. Still, nothing. Restoring your giving. Good, thank you. There's hope. It's like the little flag out on a green. It's hope. Here's why I say that, though. Scripture says this. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. You stop being passionate about the things of God, besides being becoming absent from worship, you're absent from giving. It's one of the first things that goes. Why? Because your treasure is following your heart. When you treasure the things of God, the habit of tithing, no big deal. The opportunity to give offerings and do something special, no big deal. You just still do it. I still give to the Legacy Fund. I'll tell you why. Because I just believe there's more that God has for our church. That's what it's been about. It's been about that for like 20 years. And, and I, I want my giving to reflect my heart, but I also want my giving to lead my heart. That's why it's important. That's why giving is so important, because it leads your heart. Do the right thing, and the right feelings will follow. Here's another, so restore your habits. Second thing is recreation. Recreation, what's that about? Sabbath, unplug. Don't, don't live like, man, I'm 24-7, 24-7. You do that, you'll lose your passion. You'll lose your passion for the things of God because you just fill your life with so much busyness. There's no time for quiet and the Holy Spirit to just speak to you, refresh you, redirect you. Our lives can go so busy that, and we're so busy working in our lives that we can fail to let God work on our lives. So there needs to be a point of recreating or recreation, a point of unplugging from the busyness of work to let the Holy Spirit do something. You know, it's the most amazing thing about, about passion. It's kind of an irony that God can actually refuel your passion when you're unplugged. He can refuel it more readily in that situation than when you're striving to get things done. It's like you're just unplugged and the Spirit of God can start talking to you why? Because you're in a posture to listen and to hear. Here's the last one. Keep your passion in the right place. Keep your passion in the right place. You know, the scripture talks about a guy who's had a very full life. It's an agricultural example, of course, time of Jesus. And so he decides, man, my, my barns are full. I know what I need to do. Build bigger barns. And then the scripture goes on to say, but he doesn't know that his life is just about over. And even though he's rich in this life, he's broke when it comes to his relationship with God. 
You can be building my thing when God's called us to build his thing. What excites you in connection to the purposes of God for your life? What excites you? What gets your mojo going? Sometimes the problem isn't about a lack of passion. but Sometimes the problem is we've just misdirected it, put it on something else. And we find ourselves being all passionate about something that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God and having very little passion towards the kingdom. But the scripture says this, seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. In other words, God has no problem blessing your life, but he wants you to be passionate about his kingdom, passionate about following Jesus, passionate about the fact that there are people around you who are far from God and God wants to use you to be a difference maker in their life. Align your life around your passion for the kingdom and the rest of it will take care of itself. And finally, vision will always refresh your passion. You know, vision has to do with going back to why we do what we do in the first place. It's about what's actually important in your life. It's about the God dream that we have. And, and when passion is low, often it's because vision has just gone out of sight. Don't let the disappointments of your presence, of your past or your present challenges squash out vision for your future and how God wants to work in and through your life. Clarify that vision. Spend time with Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Let the Word of God build a picture of a vision of what your life is meant to be like and how He is meant to work in and through you. Hold on to that vision. Let that vision ignite your passion. Let's stand as we take a moment to pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you for your presence in this house. Lord, I thank you that it was you who said, zeal for your house consumes me. Jesus, you lived a life of passion. You called your followers to be passionate about following you. Father, I just I pray for each and every one of us here. I pray, Lord, may our passion for the kingdom, may our passion for the king, may our passion for the purposes of God, may our passion for the house of God, may it all be, may it all be restored, revived, refueled, Lord. And I pray for people, Lord, who feel like their passion level is a little low that is down. I pray that they would get back to basics. I pray that, Lord, that they would open their Bible again by themselves, get into your word. I pray that they would pray again and take time each day with you. I pray, Father, that consistency would come back into their worship. That being in your house wouldn't be a a visit that's infrequent, but a habit that keeps the fuel and the fire of the things of God fresh in their life. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening their eyes. Lord, your, your word talked about eye salve so we could see. Jesus, I pray, let that eye salve happen in our lives. Let us see, God, how you wanna work in and through our lives. Let our lives be full of faith and vision of how Jesus wants to use us and work through us. 
With the heads bowed, I want to pray one more prayer, and that is for people that would say, you know, I feel far from God right now. And maybe that's where you're at. I talked about Luke 15, people being far from God, and, and you know what? God's eye was on them. They were far from God, but that didn't mean that God was far from them. In fact, he prioritized them. Scripture says the farmer left the 99 to go after the one. And if you're that person who's here today or that person who's watching online right now and you feel far from God, I want you to know something. God's, you've got God's attention because he wants to bring you home. He wants to bring you back to a place of walking close with him, back to a place of a fellowship with him, back to a place of knowing that you're in his kingdom being in that place where the Holy Spirit can continue to work in your life for the purposes that God has for you. With their heads bowed here, I just wanna ask, how many here would say, Pastor, you know what? I feel like I'm one of those people that feels far from God right now in my life. Can you just give me a wave? That's you. Okay. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray with you. And the congregation is gonna pray with you as well because this is your invitation to come home. One of the parables was about a woman who had 10 coins and lost one, but the scripture says she swept the whole house to find that one. In other words, that's God's passion towards bringing you back into fellowship with him. We're gonna go ahead and pray. The congregation will pray with you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me enough that you found me drew me to yourself. I ask you to forgive my past. And Lord, whatever it was that caused me to be far from you, I leave that behind. Today I pursue you. Today I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I'll follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for bringing me home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.